We'll start with a reading from Mark chapter 4. It's called When Jesus Calms the Ocean, or Calms the Storm. The problem is, the people who experienced it didn't know that Jesus was going to calm the storm. It says, as evening came, Jesus came to his disciples and said, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they, so they took Jesus in the boat and started out to leave, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. And soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. And Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat. It even adds that he had a pillow under his head. And the disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and said, peace, be still. And suddenly, the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. And he asked them, why are you afraid? You still have no faith. Would you pray with me? Hmm. God, this is one of those stories that is so easy to get to the end of and just go, oh, look, Jesus is awesome. Amen. And there were real fears, and there were real people, and there was a real storm, and they asked a real question. Don't you care that we're going to die? God, I pray that you would meet us in your word and in this time, and that you would speak Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jay from Usland was someone that everyone loved. I mean, It was easy to like him. He was a great guy. He was super generous to the community. He had this great family, great kids, great wife. I mean, smart, genuine, beautiful. That helped. Um, All those things helped. Sorry, not just the beautiful. He had this house that they loved to host people in. He had a successful business and and used it to treat his employees well. Um, And, and... He loved Jesus. He was a Christian. He went to church. And so most people really, really like Jay. However, some people started to say things like, well, I'd be a Christian, sure, if I had a successful business. Oh, I'd be a Christian if I could be like Jay and have a perfect family, a perfect marriage. Oh, I'd be like Jay if I could have uh, the, the embarrassing amount of stuff that he has, the, the five-stall garage with three ba- brand-new cars, which I'm sure at least two of are worth $100,000, plus a storage shed for his two riding lawnmowers for their several acres, four-wheelers for all six kids, even though two kids can't really ride them yet, and even two holes of golf course on their little acreage. I'd love Jesus if I could have all that. It'd be easy to love God if I didn't have any problems. Some people said even further, I wonder if Jay would love God if he didn't have all that stuff. Have you ever met someone who is incredibly wealthy or incredibly successful or both and kind of secretly wondered if they had a genuine faith. 
even if they had complete integrity and they seemed like they had a faith, but with all that stuff, it was hard to tell. See, which would be easier for you? Which would be clearer? A person who has everything and worships God or a person who has nothing and worships God? I think you could make the argument that the person who has nothing and worships God well, has to trust and worship God because they have no other options. Certainly saw that when I was in Honduras. But, you know, you could also make the case that the person who has everything and worships God, well, they worship God because they have everything. So, I don't know if either of those options would be clearer, but potentially the clearest message would be a person who had everything lost everything, and still worshiped God. A few days ago, I was sitting with a, a heartbroken mother in the hospital, and I was holding her 38-week-old stillborn child. And losing a child, and I, I don't know personally, but uh, I have friends that have experienced it, and it is one of the most excruciating experiences of your life. Doesn't, and, and I'm told it doesn't really matter how old they are. So there were no easy answers for this mom. And there really were no answers from the doctors. And so I was really careful to not say anything um, sort of helpful or sympathetic, but dumb. Which then, when the, when the family arrived, I got to hear some of those. So you might just want to think about what some of those might be. But if you think about this reality of losing a child, and you think about the problem of pain that we experience in our lives, and you add to that this idea of all of the amounts of evil we see in the world, and it's, to me, it, it, these are the biggest and most perplexing spiritual issues. So if you haven't thought of the question, why do bad things happen, I guarantee you that one of your friends has. And we actually are looking at this series called FAQ, which I kind of tweaked to say friends asking questions rather than just frequently asked questions, because we do have friends that may not have a Bible, they may not go to church, and they may not even believe in religion, but they're curious about Jesus and they have you. And they do have these questions. So part of the reason for this series is that you all brought in questions a few weeks ago and we took the top ones. And the other part is we want to give these answers not just as answers to these questions, they're certainly not easy answers, but also this idea that these answers can be tools in your toolkit as you talk to people because church isn't just here. We are the church of God and as we move out into our lives, we meet people. And we have the opportunity to be the church to them and to share the hope of Jesus with them. So if you're not at a place where that all makes sense, that's okay. You can just listen along. But if you are, that's why we're doing this series. And I hope you haven't had to walk through one of those really, really painful experiences. But if you have, you know the words matter deeply. It was the Greek thinker Epicurus who asked, the at least is first credited, with this idea of the question, if God is willing to prevent evil but not able, 
then he must not be all-powerful. He said, if God is able to prevent it, but not willing, then he must not be all good. But if he is both willing to prevent evil and able to prevent evil, then why is there evil? Now, Epicurus was a materialist, meaning like he, everything that he could see, touch, and experience that, that he believed in. So he didn't believe in God, didn't really believe in theology, but he, interestingly enough, used a theological argument to you know, have this debate against God, basically, and was also the first one to get credit for saying the question, how could God allow innocent people to suffer and evildoers to go unpunished? So that's the question that we come to today. And it's my prayer that God would not just only speak to us through the question and through his word, but that we would be able to listen well and then answer well if we're ever in that experience and have a question like that. So let's go. First thing I would say when someone asks you this question of why do innocent people suffer is to stop. It's the first thing I would encourage you to do, to stop and ask yourself, what have they experienced that is causing them to ask this question? One of the most helpful things I've ever learned is when someone asks a question, there's usually a question behind that question. And so when that person is asking, why do innocent people suffer, or why do bad things happen to good people, or why do bad things keep happening to me? Because when I'm holding this stillborn baby with this mom, at one point, as I'm trying not to say the wrong thing, she says, why, why? Why me? Why would God do this to me? I wanted this baby so badly. And he knew that. Why would that happen? At the moment, me saying the four or five reasons of why I think bad things happen would not have been helpful. Because at that moment, she just feels unbelievably alone, unbelievably powerless. And, and there, there's probably more to this, and um, women, if you've gone through this, a miscarriage, I'm sorry, but... She's in the birthing center. And there's babies crying three rooms down. And she's in there dealing with death. Asking or telling, oh, God still loves you. Everything's going to be okay. Is not going to be helpful. So why, not why, what is the person experiencing that is causing them to ask this question. So Jay and his wife went overseas for business. The third day of the trip, he was gonna meet with a, a potential rival company that was wanting to do a merger. So they kept their kids at home with their nanny, and this third day in the trip, all of a sudden there's these really, really bad weather reports that they're seeing on the news and um, seeing through kind of their apps of local feed stations and all of a sudden his wife gasps and says there's a tornado that has just run through our neighborhood. And they turn on the news, they're frantically trying to call their home phone, their nanny's phone, their two oldest kids' cell phones and nothing is going through. And the reports come out and a quarter of a mile to the left, the house in their neighborhood is fine and a half mile to the right, the house is fine, but 
the tornado went right through their neighborhood and right through their house. As she is freaking out and trying to get someone on the phone, he decides to not go to his business meeting and he comes back in and he's trying to help her figure this out. And in the midst of this business meeting, this rival company sees him not show up and so they turn the tables, they call one of their reinforcement companies, if you will, one of these parent companies that can give them some capital and they turn the merger into a takeover and he loses that whole overseas part of his business. In a matter of moments, Jay and his wife have now lost their kids, their house, and their work. And when they returned home to the ashes of their home, the neighbors just peered out the windows. Because what do you really say when you see something like that happen? And they watched this long black dress on Jay's wife flow in the wind as they walk up their painted concrete steps to just scraps of wood everywhere. They looked like they had just come from a funeral when in reality they still had to call the funeral director. And they sit down on their steps and they weep. They just weep. And the neighbors are watching. And I, I don't know if it was a lot of minutes or a few hours because when you're in one of those moments, it's just too hard to tell. But in that moment, Jay reaches over and he grabs his wife's hand. And he starts to sing a well-known song to him Maybe to some of you too. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your holiest name. You give and you take away. You give and you take away. You give and you take away. But my heart will choose to say, Blessed be your name, God. I praise you, God. Truly, as the Bible says, I entered the world with nothing and I will leave this world with nothing. And so the only thing I can do right now is praise your name, God. Now, I don't know if I would be able to have that kind of a reaction. But Jay did. And I don't know if his wife was able to sing. But he was. In those moments when disaster strikes, what do you truly believe about God? And if you've had friends that have experienced disaster, what are the helpful and unhelpful things to say? We have to first wonder 
why the person is asking what they're asking. What are they experiencing that is causing them to ask this question? You know, when the neighbors did come around and talk to Jay and his wife, some of them said some very unhelpful things. At least you're both still alive. At least you had insurance, right? If you ever want to have a little fun, don't do it right now, but Brene Brown has a, has a little video clip called Sympathy versus Empathy, and it's even got animation, so you can listen, and it's about three minutes long, and it explains the difference between the two, and any statement that starts with at least is not helpful. It would have not been helpful with this mom as I'm holding this child to say, at least your other two kids are okay. But that was true, and they were in a car accident, so I really wanted to say that. But at that moment, I remembered the video and go, no, 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 at least isn't, isn't okay. Have you ever experienced unhelpful words of comfort and encouragement? Do you want to share? you want to share one? That you can do so appropriately to not... not Okay. <laughs> Unhelpful things that, pop, that people have said in the midst of trying to think, say something helpful. Oh, God's got a plan for this. That's so not helpful, is it? Like, who is this God that just, right? Yeah, anybody else? Oh, you're the perfect parents for this child when this child may not have turned out the way that you are expecting. Is that fair, fair to add? Hmm. Oh, missed opportunity or you've made the wrong move? Oh, yeah, thanks. What if I don't fit through the window? <laughs> We're just going to forget about those motions right there. Anything else? God won't, you know, FAQ is almost going to be, God didn't say that, okay? <laughs> that is not in the Bible, by the way. God will give you more than, well, God won't give you more than you can handle. Of course he will. He needs you to depend on it. Yeah. Thank you, Barbara. Anything that tries to talk the person out of what they're feeling. So good. You know, helpful things might have been, and, and I actually, and I give this credit to God, but I was able to say to this mom, I, I have no idea what you're feeling, but whatever it is, it's okay. Do you want to talk about it? That allows the person to be who they are. It allows the person to not feel something shameful or guilty about how they're feeling. Brene Brown would say it connects us to the person. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But after we ask ourselves why or what is this person experiencing that is causing them to ask this question, just wondering with God about that, then I think the second thing we would need to do is to listen so well that we join them in their pain. That we listen so well that we join them in their pain. My grandfather had a saying, you know why God gave you two ears and one mouth? It's so you would listen twice as much as you would talk. 
And I think it's important to listen more than we talk, especially in these situations, because of, number one, all the atrocities that have been done over years and years and centuries and centuries in the name of Jesus or in the name of God. The war, the wars, the slavery, the segregation, the hate. There have just been so many awful, evil things that have been done in the name of God that we've got to listen first. But the other reason is that, unfortunately, lots of well-meaning churches and Christian radio stations have basically come up with this slogan that goes something like this, life is better if you have God. And while technically... I do believe that life is better with God because <laughs> you, you can spend eternity with him. You can know true love, peace, joy, and abundance with God. Most people, when they hear life is better with God, they think it means life is better with God because it will mean you always get promoted. It means that you will never have pain or get cancer. It means that your kids will be perfect. And that, friends, is simply not true. It was Jesus who said in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. Not in this world, you might have trouble, or in this world, you could have trouble, but in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. There's no promise that when you believe and follow Jesus that life will be trouble-free. But God is absolutely with you in those moments. And Jesus has overcome it. When he's sitting in the back of the boat and sleeping, I think the writer puts that cushion in so you can picture Jesus right there, completely calm, totally okay, but with you. And he has the power to calm the storm. And yet, sometimes we gotta go through the storm. And most of us are gonna ask, don't you care that we're gonna die? And I think it's in there to give us some hope and to make us feel like we're not alone. So if you believe that life will get better with God and that better means that you will have a trouble-free life, then it's gonna have, you're going to have a very hard time reading from the book of Job, or maybe some of you know it as Job. Job, Job, was from the land of Uz, U-Z, Sounds a lot like our friend Jay from Uz land. And like Jay, Job lost his home, lost his job, lost his kids. And when his friends learned about this, even though it says that he was blameless and upright or he had complete integrity in everything he did, when his friends learned of his suffering, it says they came and sat with him. It's in Job 2. I've kind of sketched out from Job 1 and 2 what happened to Job with the story of Jay. But in Job 2, verse 11, it says that when the three of Job's friends heard the tragedy that he suffered, they got together and they traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namathite. And when they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. 
wailing loudly. They tore their clothes. They threw dust over their head to show their grief. And then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. And they did not say a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was true, great for words. Sometimes I think if we just show up and shut up, that's the best thing we can do for people when they are suffering. When bad things happen, if you show up and shut up, you've like 90% nailed it. This is so instructive for us. 95 is someone who's experienced it. So just let that sink in. He sat on the ground for seven days and nights because the suffering was too great for words. I could say it maybe like this. They walked in and said, oh my gosh, I have no idea what to say. So I won't say anything. See, when we listen well, we join people in their pain and we connect with that person. Because I believe that people matter deeply to God and they're valuable to God regardless of who they are, regardless of what they've been through. And, and when you see them in the midst of your suffering and when you sit with them, you are not agreeing with them. You might very much disagree with them or very much disagree with what they're saying about God right now, but empathy just needs you to be there and seek to understand where they're coming from. And when you do that, you connect with that person and you help them to see that they're not alone and that they matter and that if they matter and you can see them, then maybe God can see them and maybe God still cares about them. In fact, if you can... Pause, ask yourself, what's the question behind the question? What have they experienced that's causing them to ask that question? And then if you can listen so well that you join them in their pain, then when the time is right and God gives you the word of insight, then you can answer well. In fact, I think the rest of the book of Job is about answering well or maybe not answering well. You can go read it if you want, but it's a little bit long. And so I think we can share an answer well with a little quip that I worked on this week. I'll admit it. We can share God's big story in bites and lights. Okay, bites and lights. The first bite is one of the reasons that bad things happen. It's a little bite-sized answer, and that's Satan. So the Bible comes from this point of view that God created the world, and, and there were angels, and in that moment, actually in the book of Job, the part we didn't read, it says that, that, that Satan is one of these angels because he can go into God's presence. And so the, Job 1 describes, describes heaven, or at least part of heaven, as a heavenly courtroom. And, and Satan is like the prosecuting attorney. He wants to find out the truth. He wants to find out if these people have genuine faith. And, and God says to Satan in that moment, have you considered Job? He has complete integrity. And Satan says, well, sure. Sure he has complete integrity because he's got everything. You know, if you just let me give him some suffering, he'll certainly curse you and die. But there's no indication, at least in that story, that Satan is this evil, evil, evil creature that we've made him out to be, at least not at that moment. So if if I'm scaring your theology, just give me a second. An angel that wants to find out the truth Now, 
as the story progresses in scripture, we see that it gets less and less, or Satan is less and less like the prosecuting attorney, and more and more like a thug that wants to make their lives miserable. In fact, Jesus says in John, or Luke 10, that he saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And so some point along the way, Satan went from this angel of light to this angel of darkness, or demon, whose mission, John 10 tells us, is to steal and kill and destroy anything and anyone who matters to the heart of God. And so, there's a, this is kind of this biblical worldview. Chris, I think we have a, a slide that shows this, that, that there are angels, there is a supernatural realm, and there's this, in that supernatural realm, there are forces of darkness and there are forces of light, but they are not all the same power. God is all-powerful and God is the creator, according to Genesis 1. And if we believe this story, God's big story of Genesis 1, then we find out that, that Satan is a created being, so he does not have the same power as God. And so, even though bad things happen because of Satan, there is still a God who is more powerful than Satan. But one of those bite-sized answers of why bad things happen is that there is supernatural evil embodied in the person of Satan or the devil. And I know, I know some of you, or at least some of your friends, are like, yeah, but what if I just don't believe that Satan exists? You know, I just, what if I don't buy that supernatural realm? Okay, well, um, then, you know, I would say if you're someone who believes in the material world, what you can see, feel, touch, and experience, then we'll go to the one that doesn't have that, has all the circles, Chris, this one. So that's, you'd, you'd be from the what you see is what you get worldview. In fact, I would say that 80 or 90% of our colleges and universities have been operating in this worldview for decades. Okay? So when you send your kids off to college, or if you're a young adult going off to college, this is what your professors will probably come at you as. And it's not that these people can't, if you look at the picture, you see lots of things they don't believe in. It's not just that they don't believe in the supernatural realm, it's that then they also don't believe in a creator that could decide whether something is good or evil, something is beautiful or not, something is useful or not useful. And so how, how that turns out is not that those people can't just recognize beauty or recognize goodness, or teach their kids morals, it's that they absolutely believe there are no absolutes. And you can only trust what you can see, and feel, and measure, and experience. And the challenge with this is that there is then no higher purpose for suffering. If you believe this, you just live, and then you die, and there's no supernatural realm. And then there's no creator that can say that this is good and this isn't good. And the problem with that is, then we start doing things like, well, I think blue lives matter, and so I'm gonna start picketing against black lives matter because blue lives matter. Or you decide that you're a white person and you say, you know, I, I don't think just blue lives matter and black lives matter, I think all lives matter. And so we should just, uh, we should just love everyone. And, and you're deciding what is just and unjust, and in this worldview of what you see is what you get, my opinion is no better or different than yours. And so it's just one big arguing match, and we can't ever know. 
And so if you want to go with this, maybe there's not a Satan. Then you're getting kind of in this realm. And then you can go back to the good and evil one because the other variation of this is, all right, fine, there are spiritual powers, but, but they're all good and they're all evil and you got to have one with the other and there's just this battle between the two and it's sort of this dueling Yodas or George Lucas likes to take a little liberty with this one, but it was very clear in talking about this power of good and power of evil. But again, you decide you have to harness this good and evil and there's not a being that has decided what is good and what is evil. And I actually want one. And, and all of these take a little bit of faith. All right, I know that sounds like a little tangent, but again, if reason number one is why bad things happen is Satan, then we have to talk about if he doesn't exist. Reason number two then would be that there is evil. And the Bible calls it sin. So the next bite-sized answer is that the world has been corrupted by sin. And Genesis, the book of Genesis, says that there was a God who existed outside of the world, who created the world that was all-powerful and all-good. He spoke it into existence, and over and over things were called good. In fact, the pinnacle of his creation was humans. In Genesis 1, 26, it says that God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, and they will reign and they will rule. And so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And male and female, he created them. See, if this is true, if we believe this worldview, then every human being, regardless of their intelligence level and their physical capabilities or their beauty, all humans have worth. All humans have dignity. All humans bear the image of someone sacred, the divine, and they're then special. And in this story would point to all tribes, all religions, all races, all sexes, and people who post political views on social media different than yours. Even those people have inherent worth and are loved by this God. And yet, in Genesis 2, God has to give us choice to accept or reject him because it's not love if you're forced to love. And so God puts the humans in the Garden of Eden to take care of it and give them work, but he says, if you eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And so there has to be this choice, and so, which means that there has to be this possibility of knowing evil if there's this possibility to reject God, if God is all good. And in Genesis 3, we receive evil as well as good. And because we've been infected by sin, at least according to the story of Genesis 3, now the entire world is infected by sin and sinful things will happen. So Ron, can you bring my little tools up? Because people, when they ask this question of why do bad things happen, this is how they think about it. Oftentimes they read the news or they see the news stories, and they go like this. You can just set them all down. Right here. They say, well, there's this good world. See, it's bright, it's yellow, it's good. Okay, that's what yellow means. And, and look at all this evil right here, and this evil here, and this evil here, and this evil here, but, oh, you know, there's just a few bad people in the world. But the world is really good, and people are really good. And I just don't see why everyone is making this deal about how we're, we're sinful. 
And then the more and more and more evil that happens, then people are like, whoa, well, why would God do that? Why would God let the world be so bad? Or I don't believe in God because the world is getting to be so bad. But see, in the story of Genesis, when once these man and this woman, they eat from this tree and they reject God, they, in, they take in the possibility of evil. Now we see their kids kill each other or one kills the other. And now we see all of a sudden more and more evil. And in Genesis 6, what it actually says is not there were a lot of bad people. Genesis 6 says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination and thought of the human heart was only evil all the time. This is not the good world that we have with some bad people. What we see in Genesis 6 is that the whole world went to pot. Everything was evil all the time. It was entirely separated from God, the world, every heart. And God regretted that he had made humans. See, the other answer is that we are separated from God. And Romans 8 says that all of creation was subject to this curse, confirming the whole thing is bad. And we know that all, all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, that it longs for the day when it doesn't see death and decay, including creation. And so the first answer is Satan. Again, not all of these at once for a person. The second answer is that the world has been corrupted by sin but I think you will see that there are some good things about this because there was a good God who had a good world who said what was good and what was evil. And then when we rejected him, the whole thing went to pot. And yet, the third answer is not really about bites, it's really about lights. And what I mean by that is that God will sometimes allow or cause, depends on how you look at it, challenging things in your faith so that your faith can shine brighter. When Jesus is in the boat sleeping and his, and his disciples say, don't you care that we're going to die? Jesus gets up and he says, peace, be still. And they wonder, who is this who can control the wind and the waves? And First Peter says that your faith has been protected by God so that until you reach and receive your salvation, which will be revealed in the last day. So be glad, there's a wonderful joy ahead. First Peter 1, 6. Even though you've had to endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine and it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. When you stick gold in a fire, it will burn out the impurities and it will be proven faith, it'll be proven genuine. When you stick your faith in suffering and in trials, it will be proven genuine. And instead of seeing a world like this, what people start to see is that there are good, there are bright lights in this dark world. There are true faiths coming through, and there is one faith that turned it all around, because God did not leave us stranded on this earth. See, Jay from Usland was really Job. I wanted you to experience this story. But the reality is I had a friend whose name was Doug, who didn't lose his kids, but otherwise the story is very much like Jay. 
and they lived in a very nice house in a very nice suburb, and they had their neighbors over, and they tried to encourage them to attend Bible study, and they tried to encourage them to come to church with them, and they tried to share Christ with them, and they just got nowhere. And then their house burned down. And their neighbors watched from the windows, and they watched them cry, and they watched them pray, and they watched them have peace, and they watched them have friends over, and they watched them say God is still good, and they watched them rebuild their house slowly and surely, and they watched them stay married together, and all of those neighbors started coming to their Bible study, and all of those neighbors started to come and ask and say, can you pray for this? And I believe all of those neighbors received Christ. Because sometimes we go through hard things so that people who will never come to church and never read a Bible will see Jesus in you and in me. See, for God so loved the world that he sent his son to this earth to show us the light, what life was really life like. And he gave his life in a very unfair way. The disciples came, don't you care that we're gonna die? When Jesus was hauled off to a chamois trial and beaten and whipped, I didn't hear any of the disciples say, hey, don't you guys care that Jesus is gonna die? They were just like, Phew. they didn't get me. God is so unfair. And I'm so glad that he's unfair. Psalm 103 says that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor does he pay us back for all of our wrongs. As high as the heaven is over the earth, so strong is the love to those who fear him. As far as the sunrise is from the sunset, or as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he separated our sins from us. As we close today, I want you to consider that yes, bad things happen and life doesn't seem fair and I am so glad that life isn't fair. If life was fair, we'd all be in hell. And yet God killed animals to provide for Adam and Eve. That really wasn't fair. And God put a mark on Cain after he killed his brother so no one would kill him. That really wasn't fair. And when the whole world was evil, all the places, all the time, God found Noah says he found favor with Noah. Favor is another word for grace. That wasn't fair. And when Noah got drunk after he saved the world and was, we'll just say sinned, God let him live and he blessed him. And that wasn't fair. And when the world threw everything they had at the son of God and killed him, that wasn't fair either because he was completely upright and did nothing wrong but he did it so that we could live. And so every time we see a light on this dark world, we should remember that Jesus is making all things right. And it says in Revelation that one day, there will be no death, there will be no tears, there will be no suffering, that God will make all things new and he, in his justice, will make all things right. So why do bad things happen? Sometimes I just don't know. And here, spoiler alert for the book of Job, when Job finally does get to ask God why this happened, God, gets, uh, God gives Job a lot of questions and no solid answers. He's God, we won't understand with a whole lot more. But one day, 
he will make things right. That's a story that I think is good. That's a story that when the time is right, I think your friends will want to know. And that's a story that we can put our faith in. What and how is God considering just the spirit of God as we move to prayer, as the worship team comes up? When you are in that place where you are wondering why bad things happen, it is so easy to forget that God is shining a light through you and that sometimes through the cracks and through the pain is when he shines best. How is God asking you to shine in those moments when you're in pain and in the moments when everything's great? Jesus said that you are like a city on a hill shining for all to see. Paul says to the Philippians, that you should let your light shine so bright that people see your Father in heaven. So how can you shine in this next week? It's great that we have tools, but if we don't shine with the Holy Spirit's power, the world won't know. So would you pray with me? God, you show us through your word that our life is like a giant billboard that can scream God is good. Jesus is his son. And that life is not fair. It's full of grace and mercy and goodness, even in the midst of suffering. I pray, God, for everyone here, especially for those, God, who are going through something so difficult that they don't even want to say. They actually want to figure out how they can run out at the end of service. And I pray that in your mercy and in your grace, you would meet them in this moment that they would see you as good. And God, I pray for anyone who doesn't really know you, Jesus, who maybe thinks that you're not fair and that's a bad thing, that they would see the mercy and the sacrifice and the goodness that you offer through your son and they would say yes to you. God, may we be a people who not only have said yes to you, but through Jesus shine so bright that the world could see your goodness even through the suffering. Give us confidence and give us hope. Jesus. Amen.